Who's ready to look at the Word of the Lord together today? Yes, we're going to continue on with 1 Peter, so you can grab that. But I want to tell you a little something. We're kind of, if you're visiting, we're going through 1 Peter, kind of just section by section. We're almost done. I figured it out. I think we got four messages left, and we're done with 1 Peter for right now. But let me just tell you something. Before we actually um, look at the text today, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but God, if I asked you, what business does God run? And you said, I don't know, what's God in the business of? I would say this, God is in the transformation business. God is in the business of making us better. Did you know that? That's what God does. That's what God is about in your life. That God is in the business of helping every one of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior to be developed, transformed into reflections of His goodness and His glory. And I think of it like this. He's like a, and the scriptures say he's like a master sculptor sculpting us out of clay. But I thought of this. He's more like a master uh, sculptor who chisels on a rock because some of us are pretty hard-headed, right? And he's chiseling away at us, making something beautiful out of each and every one of us. Now, along those lines, I have a friend and his name is Darren. And he reminds me, as I was looking at this text, He came to my mind, my friend Darren. My brother and I called Darren, this is the nickname we have for him, before I knew the Lord DeFord. His last name is DeFord. Darren is a pastor in central Wisconsin. You guys might know him from Mather Church, little church out in the Cranberry Bogs in central Wisconsin. And he is a pastor there. And and we call him before I knew the Lord DeFord. Um... Because if you spend any time with Darren, and Darren is this kind of guy. Darren is the most good, kind, loving, generous, fully devoted, all-in-for-Jesus man you'll ever meet. Serving the Lord so faithfully, um, sacrificially, reaching those people who work at the cranberry bogs and the cranberry owners and and all the people. He always refers to himself as the, he calls himself the Jack Pine Savage. Um, that's his name, and he lives out in the bush. He says, no one else can reach these savages like me. He leads all these people to the Lord. But if you spend any time with Darren, inevitably, somewhere in the conversation, when you're talking to him, he will launch into some crazy story about something that's probably illegal that he's done earlier in his life, and he'll always say like this, before I knew the Lord... And when he says that, you know you're going to get this great story and you literally are going to, you, you will have a hard time sitting in your chair without falling over laughing. I always said, if there's any person I could make a, um, a, a show on, kind of like Duck Dynasty show, a reality show, you just follow somebody around and just laugh, it'd be Darren's life. And we'd call it before I knew the Lord before. We talked about creating the movie, creating the series about Darren. And because he tells you a story, and you're just, you're, you will laugh your head off like no other person ever, but he always starts it off, well, before I knew the Lord, and he'll tell you something. One day he's talking to me, I have this pistol that the men of this church gave me as a present for my birthday. And I had it, and I went deer hunting with it. And he's telling, he saw it, and he goes, I shot a deer with, that, with one of them one time, but he told the story, before I knew the Lord. He's driving down the road in his pickup truck, and there's a deer running down the side of the road. He rolls the windows out. Boom, shoots the deer out of his car while he's driving. He goes, bad idea, don't shoot a gun in your car, you can't hear for a month, you know. 
But he goes, he shoots this deer. He goes, but it was before I knew the Lord. I wouldn't violate anymore. But Darren is an incredible example to me of what Peter is getting at in the text that we're looking at today. That his is a life of transformation. His is a life of two halves. The the half before I knew the Lord and the half after he came to know Jesus as Lord. And they're completely distinct. He doesn't doesn't do those things anymore. He He doesn't have those, you know, he doesn't have the same stories now that he had after he came to Jesus. His life is a life where there's this line of demarcation in it. His life with Jesus is drastically different than his life before he knew the Lord. And there's a reason for that. Because God is in the transformation business. And friends, this is what Peter is getting at in the text that we're going to look at today. He's, going to, he's getting at the fact that, that our life in Christ should be drastically different than it is before we knew the Lord. That our life should be different now, that God's in a transformation business, and he's, he wants to make us different. And that's the, that's the gist of what he's writing about here. So look at your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. In other words, you don't keep doing the sin with them. And they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel for this purpose has been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And we'll stop right there. I hope you can see the big picture of what Peter's saying. And we're going to break it down in a minute, but let me explain the big picture of what he's talking about in these six verses. He's basically starting off writing about how Jesus serves as our example, who one who, who overcame sin, that he resisted um, and suffered in, in an event in a, in a way of, in order to overcome sin, and that the time um, before, and for us, as we are, follow his example, that the time before we knew Jesus, our example, was sufficient for living the lives that the world lives, but that now in Christ, we are to be different We are to live lives that are free from the chains of sin. And our old friends are supposed to look at us and and sometimes he says even criticize us for our new lifestyle saying, wow, that, that, that guy is so much, Jack is so different since he met Jesus. What's wrong with that guy? I hope that somebody in our lives, that when you came to Christ and you're living for Christ, some people look at you and go, what's wrong with you? That's what he's getting at here. They're gonna, they're gonna look at, that's the big picture that he's painting out here. Well, for our time today, let's break that big picture down and see a few really important things that Peter tells us about living on the Jesus side of the equation, living on the Jesus side of this line of demarcation of coming to know Christ, living lives of transformation 
from being slaves to sin to being free from sin in Christ so that we can be like Darren and go, oh, let me tell you a story. Before I knew the Lord, I was like this, but I'd never be like that now. And so let's, let's, let's break that down and see what are the things that Peter has to say about that life, that life that has two halves, the before I knew Jesus half and the after I know Jesus half. That what's it like? And, and hopefully it's not a half at all. Hopefully it's we come to know Christ, we raise our kids so they, they know Jesus their whole lives. They don't really know love, but they know I'm different than I was then. I'm living a life now fully engaged with Jesus. So, so what are some of the things that Peter points out about understanding this life, That's this life of transformation? And the first thing he points out is, is this. And this is just inferred, it's implied here. Um, but it's this, that the battle is real. That the battle against sin, the battle to be transformed, is real. There's a real battle going on. Look at what Peter is saying here. He wants us to live the rest of our lives, he says, not for the lusts of men, some of which are described in verse 3 here. Look at verse 3. What are some of the lusts of, men, of people, he says? Um, pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. I think he lives in Wisconsin. Right? I think, I think Peter lived in Wisconsin when he's writing this. He says that the rest of our lives um, are, shouldn't be like that, but rather we should live our lives, once we know Jesus, for the will of God. He's talking about these two ways of living that are at odds with each other. That there is something we need to be reminded about this. For each one of us in church, that there is a real battle going on here. That the world that we live in is a battlefield. Scripture teaches us that the pull between these two ways of life are spiritually rooted. That there is a very real enemy of every person's soul. Who's that? The devil. And who is working to get every person to reject God and to follow his way. While at the same time, God, by the Holy Spirit, is influencing every human being towards Jesus to live out his way, the life of transformation. It's a battle that God allows at this point. And sometimes we say, God, why would you do it? And I'll tell you, I don't have all the answers. But it's a battle that God allows to go on at this time, somehow for his purposes. But we need to understand in this battle that, that, that Peter just assumes is real, that God and the devil in this battle are not equal in any way. That the best we can understand from Scripture, that the devil is a fallen angel that was created by God and rebelled against God, and other angels did that, but that God in this setting is not equal to the devil. That God created him. That God is infinitely, so much infinitely, we can't even fathom, infinitely greater than the devil. That God is infinitely more powerful than the devil. But somehow, for God's purposes, he's allowing the devil to wage war against humanity at this time, and that that battle that is going on is real. Friends, this is what we saw and we see when we look at Adam and Eve in the garden. That God created everything. This God, who is, has no equal, creates the cosmos. He creates the earth. He creates Adam. He creates Eve. And he had created the devil as an angel who has fallen and the devil lured Adam and Eve away from following God's way. And what the Bible tells us, sin entered the world. And from that day forward, the battle has been real. There is a spiritual battle raging. One side calling you to sin and rejection of God and his ways. And one side calling you to find freedom from sin in Jesus Christ. 
And what we need to remember, every one of us needs to remember today, because what we do when we hear this message is we relegate it back to our pasts. If we know Christ, if we've come to salvation, we relegate it back to some ancient history in our lives. Yeah, that was real. There was a battle going on. But we need to remember something. Us nice, as I'm going to describe you, us nice, suburban, well-adjusted people, for every one of us, the battle is just as real today for every one of us as it is for anybody else on planet Earth. Some of you go, you don't know me very well. I'm not a nice, well-adjusted suburban person. But I think you are. But you need to understand, for us nice, well-adjusted suburban people, the battle is just as real for us. Satan wants to tempt you and trick you just like he does everyone else in the world. We have to be just as aware of our human propensity to sin as anyone else and know that that toying with sin, which we do just in different ways, is just as dangerous for us today as it is for anyone else on planet Earth. And I want us to think today. You think today for your life. What way or ways is saying Satan trying to trip you up today? Make no mistake about it. He is trying to trip you up. He's trying to trip me up. He's trying to trip every one of us up. Because he doesn't want us to succeed in our life of transformation. Which way is he trying to to trip you up today? Is it maybe pride? Because again, we're nice, adjusted, well-adjusted suburban people. We don't do those things, whatever those things are. Is maybe the way he's trying to trip you up with pride? You say something like this, well, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. Look what I've accomplished in my life. Man, I've worked hard. Look at how great I am. Friends, that's a thinking is a trap from the devil that will destroy you. Maybe the trap, the, the, the temptation in your life is greed. That, 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 and I refer to it often, that park bench downtown Cedarburg describes your life. Well, enough is just a little bit more. Enough is never enough. Enough is just a little bit more. And you say, sure, I'll, you don't say it out loud, but your lifestyle proves it. I will sacrifice my time with God. I will sacrifice my time with my family. I will sacrifice everything else in order to get another sale, in order to get enough, to fill up my accounts a little bit bigger. And the temptation that Satan's using in you is greed. Maybe it's arrogance. Think about this. And remember when I say this, whenever you point the finger, there's three more pointing back at you. There's no, there's no condemnation here. I'm saying let's be honest with ourselves because I want us to identify the schemes of the devil so that we can see them, we can be aware of the battle, so that we can win in the battle in this transformation. So that we get to say like Darren, well, before I knew the Lord or before the Lord really helped me over this, man, there was a struggle, but now I'm free. I want us to be able to tell the stories like Darren. Maybe the way he's trying to trip us up is with arrogance. Because guess what, man? We, we live in the place. 25th wealthiest county in America. Wealthiest county in Wisconsin. We have things that people in the world don't even, they can't even imagine is real. Christine was the main one who prepared, I wasn't planning to say this, but the main one who prepared the, the night, this night that we just had the, the fall classic harvest party. Did I say it right? All right. I got it right. And I said, one of the things she's learning, she said, anything she wanted, I said, oh, we have that. Oh, we have that. And she said one thing, she goes, I needed buckets. She said, you know how many buckets Portview has? I said, buckets. She goes, they're used to doing money ministry in Ukraine where there's no available stuff. And she's like, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, we got it. Portview, we have it. Like everybody else in the area has. 
We can be arrogant with that. Ask yourself this question, and I mean this with all my heart. Deep down inside, do we really believe that we are better than, more important than, and you fill in the blank, I am better than that group of people? I'm more important than that person? Do we really believe that? Because if we can fill in the blank that I really think I'm better than or more important than, uh, friends, that's arrogance, and it's the opposite of Jesus. Jesus didn't believe he was better than or more important than anybody. That's why he went on the cross and he said, I'll die for you, even the ones who are nailed in my hands, because he's saying, I'm not more important than you. I will die for you. I will submit to you. I will surrender to you. I will give myself for you. That's Christianity. Friends, that arrogance is a trap. Oh, I'm really, we don't say it out loud, but yeah, I really think I'm better than them. I've accomplished more. I'm more educated. I'm really smarter. I'm better. No. Everything we have is a gift from God. Your ability to do what you do in your employment is a gift from God. You did not earn it. It was given to you. You've utilized it. Never take that away from you. You've utilized it, and I've utilized it. But let's not fall in the trap of arrogance and not give all the glory to God, which makes us then just say, thank you, Jesus. We don't ever think we're better than somebody else. But the devil trips us that way. Or maybe it's just something from Peter's list that we read from verse 3. You don't say it out loud, but it's, it's sensuality. It's lusts. It's drunkenness. It's carousing. It's drinking parties. It's abominable idolatries. A lot of things that a lot of us have participated with before we knew the Lord, but have they crept back into our life? Church Peter wants to remind us that the battle is real for us, even if we do know the Lord. We cannot drop our guards against the schemes of the devil that lead us into traps. We need to be aware that the devil's plan is to bring us down. Later in this exact same book, to First Peter, Peter says it like this. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. Just look one page over. Or scroll next thing over. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on your alert. That's what I'm saying. Be on your guard. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's how Peter describes it. He said he is on the prowl for you. He's on the prowl for me. He's on the prowl for your children. He's on the prowl for your grandkids. He's on the prowl for your spouse. He's on his prowl for, your, for everybody you know, for your boss. Now understand, this isn't something to be scared of. He's not saying to go, oh, scared. You know, last night, every time for some reason, Levi was at his house, he goes up the stairs, he gets to the top stairs, he starts crying, and he says, ghost! We're like, what in the world's going on here? I take him up last night. He's afraid to go upstairs. Like, who taught him about ghosts? You know, so every time it's dark, I take him up there. Friends, we're not supposed to be scared. This is not about being scared. It's something we need to be aware of, not scared of, aware of, so we don't fall into the schemes and the traps of the devil. We don't let our guard down. So that we can win against sin by being aware that there's a very real enemy who's fighting a battle against every single one of us every single day. So Peter's just saying this. Listen, this battle is, is real. And then let's think about the next thing that Peter points out. He says the battle is real. What's the next thing he says? He says this. That resisting that battle isn't easy. That resisting sin isn't easy. Look at this. Peter says in verse 1 that Jesus suffered in his flesh. He actually died in his resistance to sin. And he's saying, use that as your example for yourself. Now understand, 
We know from Scripture that Jesus, unlike us, didn't have a sin nature. He isn't like you and me, born with a bent towards sin. And he lived his entire life without ever sinning. He's the perfect spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yet, Scripture says he had to struggle to overcome sin. Look at what the writer of Hebrews had to say about it. Flip a little bit back towards the beginning of your Bible. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Look at verses 14 and 15. You there? Hebrews 4. 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Jesus, the perfect lamb, the son of God, without a sin nature, is one who has been tempted in all ways, um, in, in all things as we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, but the writer of Hebrews says yet without sin. And I want you to think about that temptation. Think about how scripture says that after Jesus was baptized by John and filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit descended on him like a dove, it says that the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness where for 40 days he ate nothing and was tempted by the devil. And how after 40 days he got hungry and then the enemy, the devil, turned up the temptation. And he basically this, he tempted him in three ways, but basically did this. He offered him all the world and all his power and all its glory, the things that were due Jesus anyway, but he just did it and said, hey, here's a shortcut. Worship me and I'll give it all to you. But what did Jesus do? Jesus resisted. He resisted the temptation to go the easy way. He resisted the temptation to bypass the life of, sa- of suffering and sacrifice that he knew lied ahead of him. Go read Luke 4 later today and see that's what it's written about. He resisted the easy path so that he could, so that he could win. It was a great challenge for Jesus to resist temptation because this is what Peter is trying to point out. Resisting temptation is never easy. So here's the point. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. Peter in this section is not trying to give us a whole bunch of how-tos. He's just trying to warn us. He's trying to say, listen, it's going to take some effort. Now bring this idea down to you and me. We do have a sin nature. Now, we get the, 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 the nature of Christ when we're saved, but we do have a sin nature. We still battle with sin. And yes, we are forgiven in Christ. And yes, we are empowered to win against sin, but it's still not easy to resist sin. Matter of fact, I would say this. The longer you serve God, the, the, the big things fall off easy. The big things, you know, the, ver- the, the, verse, the, the chapter, chapter 4, verse 3 things, those fell off easy for me. I was involved in all those things before Jesus. All the lust and the drunkenness and the carousing and the drinking parties. That was my life. Those fell off, but as I live for Christ longer, it becomes the more th- deep things in my soul. It is the arrogance. When I said, are you battling these things? You think those just came out of thin air? No, those are, those are things that, that I and you battle with. They're the hard things to root off. Do I really believe I'm better than somebody else? What's the root of racism? I believe I'm better than somebody. Right? And so those things are easy to hide and harder to root out. And friends, it's not easy to resist sins in our lives. Jesus resisted. 
And he's trying to say here, Peter's saying, Jesus resisted to the point of death. He's saying that we need to resist. And he's even saying to the point of suffering. He's just saying this, listen, it's not automatic. And some of us need to resist by doing some very real things. Some of us need to resist by putting an anti-porn app on your phones and your computers. Because that's where you're giving in. Some of us need to resist by cutting up our credit cards because we overspend, because we think buying something new, going some other place will make me happy. It doesn't. Some of us need to resist by getting off of social media, getting off Facebook, so you can stop watching all this social media garbage that feeds hatred in your soul towards people that Jesus died for. If you're looking at all this stuff, and the stuff you're looking at is pointing at other people and making you hate them, it's the opposite of Jesus. Because Jesus loves the people so much, he died for them. So if the social media you're looking at is stirring up your soul and it's making enemies of other people, then you need to stop looking at it. Because you know what? If you're hating other people, you're not loving like Jesus. Cut the cord. Get rid of it. Stop watching it. Resist. That's what he's getting at here. Resist. Resist. He says, you have an enemy who's looking to destroy you. And he's not coming at you. He's not some little guy with red, red guy horns who's coming up saying, you see me coming. He's sly and he's behind the scenes. And he gets us these ways to get us to not live in step with the transforming process that the Holy Spirit is trying to do inside of us. And Peter's saying, listen, be aware and resist. Now know this. Is one in whom Christ dwells and delights, whom you are if you are a child of God. You can win against sin. But you and I have to be part of the, of the, of the equation. We must do our part. We must resist. We must, we must structure our lives. This is the best way I can put it. Structure our lives in ways that protect us. That keep us from temptation that is temptation. Some people, some things aren't temptation. But for some th- other people, certain things are temptation. Structure your way that you know you. You structure your way that, that you, you don't put yourself in the place of temptation. You put guardrails in, in life, in your life to keep you safe. Why do you think, and if you're new to the church you might not know this. Why do you think there's a rule in this church that I live by and have lived by every day of my life for 30 years as a pastor, and I insist on it with every staff person. And when a staff person tries it, they don't understand this. I go, take them aside. Here's the rule. Here's one of the rules of our church. We got a bunch of them, but here's one of them. You're never alone with somebody of the opposite sex. I don't care who they are. Never, ever, ever, ever alone with somebody of the opposite sex if you're on staff at this church. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that in 30 plus years of pastoral ministry, I have never handled a dime of money in any way. That Mitch knows it. Where's Mitch? Somewhere. I don't. I just, I refuse. If the check's got to be written and Mitch is gone and somebody else is gone, Diane can sign checks, Mitch can sign checks. I don't do any of it. Why? Is it because I don't trust myself? I trust myself completely. But I'm putting up guardrails that there can be no accusation and I never could do something wrong. Why do you think, and some of you know this and some of you don't, that when you come into my office... And you sit in the chair. I always sit in my son. I, I sit in the one-person chair. There's a love seat across from me in my office. Some of you have not been there. You can come visit, see what I'm talking about. And the, you'll sit there, and you're surrounded by pictures of my family. My whole walls are pictures of my family. And right here behind my head is a picture of me kissing Suzanne. Why do you think that is? 
Why do you think I have those things in place? They're guardrails. They're just guardrails. Now, I know I'm not the greatest catch in the world. But any woman who comes in, you say, I am, I'm glad. Any woman who comes in goes, I shouldn't even think about it. He's kissing his wife right here. He's surrounded by kids and grandkids. There's no way this guy is going to go down that path. And you know why? It's guardrails. What are the guardrails you've got to put in your lives? I've just put guardrails in my lives that have kept me safe. My goal is when I'm done doing this and however many years God has me doing it, not one accusation, not one founded accusation against any of those areas that really generally bring ministers down. But what are they in your life? What are the things that bring people in your world down? What guardrails do you put in place? It's simply being resistant to the attacks and being smart about the attacks of the enemy of my soul. What do you need to resist temptations? Be honest about your situation and set up guardrails that help you resist his assaults. Now, this leads to the natural conclusion that Peter comes to. It's this. As Christ's followers who are aware of the battle and engage in the resistance, as you do that, you will be transformed gradually and continually and perpetually into a person who becomes totally different than the version of yourself before you knew the Lord. That Jesus makes you different. Jesus makes you better. Peter says your life before Christ was sufficient for all the sins that you were involved in. You know what they were. So now you live the rest of your life, he says what? For the will of God, not for the lusts of sin. You will be different. There will be a big difference between your life in Christ today and your life before you knew the Lord. In fact, you'll be so different that a lot of times your old group of friends, your relatives, will wonder what has happened to you and maybe even criticize you for it. Well, you used to be fun, Mark. Which means you used to get drunk and stupid and get in fights. That wasn't fun, but we thought it was fun at the time. You used to be fun, Mark. No, now I'm free. You thought it was fun, now it's free. And here's the question. Is that true in your life? Is that true of those who make up the family of Portview? Are our lives so different from what they were that pe- and, and the world around us that people can actually see it? I got to tell you, this is my opinion, for the last decade or two, much of the church world, and it's affected everything from our sermons to our music, has been teaching a theology that basically says this. Christians should become like the world to reach the world. It's basically been about two decades. Christians should become like the world to reach the world. And I think it was very well intended. Here's Mark's evaluation of it. It hasn't worked. Because now, two decades later, I see a church that's living out verse 3. I'm not saying poor people. I'm just saying the church world as a whole. It's living out verse 3. Sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. I can't believe what I see celebrated in the church world today. A lot of times Christians pretty much look just like everybody else in the world. And I think because of that, a lot of the church world, remember, one finger out, three fingers back, pointing at me too, much of the church world has lost its power and its appeal. To the lost. 
if our lives are not different today than they were before we met Jesus, then what's the point? And why would anyone want what we have? Because they know some guy's going to stand up here every week if you're part of this today and say, hey, congratulations, you're so generous, you're giving the money to somebody else. They go, well, why would I be part of that? If we're not so much different that we're doing it because we're full of joy and saying we want to share this. We want to share what we found with everybody on the planet. Our lives should reveal the supernatural transforming power of Jesus as we continually walk with him. And he continually transforms us by giving us a better, the real, that just said, I will give you real life. Friends, Peter here is simply pointing out that our lives should be different after we come to know Jesus. What we engage in should change because God is helping us to change and get better. That lives of spiritual indul- uh, sinful indulgence should fall by the wayside as we are transformed in Christ's likeness because God is in the transformation business. And I think that this is something that we just need to be reminded of in light of the last few decades of what I think is kind of some poor theology. Let me make one more point about this. For those who have walked with Jesus for quite a while, and a lot of us in here have, it's easy for us to drop our guard. It's easy for us to say, I got this thing all figured out. You need to remember the devil is still looking to destroy you. You still have the devil who's prowling like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now maybe I'd say this, in all honesty, you've grown past the list of do's and don'ts that you first started off with Jesus with. And I would say that's as it should be. Those lists of do's and don'ts that we have in the church world are for beginning spirituality. They are designed to protect us and to shape and form us into this what we're supposed to be. Those are, the, 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 those are essential in the beginning of our walk with Jesus. And as we mature, we don't necessarily need those anymore because we understand why. But don't make the mistake in this development process of believing that you don't need to be cautious. That you don't need to be vigilant and resistant because we do. Because the enemy never gives up on any one of us. And we can never forget that. Friends, as we mature... We need to be greater and greater examples of what can be in the life of someone who's devoted to Jesus. We, forever, other people coming up behind us as we're be partnering with this and being aware of the battle and allowing the transformation of the Holy Spirit, we need to be better and better examples of what God intends us to be so those who are coming behind us can say, the reason I'm in the way, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to be like that person someday. I want to be kind. I want to be generous. I want to be patient. I want to be able to go through troubles and say, yes, I'm still going through troubles. But you know what? I see the way they have a peace. That's the kind of transformation he wants to do in our lives. And friends, this message from Peter today isn't so much about how to overcome or live these holy lives. No more, it's a reminder that we are, as we are in Christ, that we are that our, our, we are to be changed if we partner with God, and it should be so changed that we re, that our lives should reveal it, and that part of that transformation process comes from the reality of the fact that we have an enemy who wants to destroy us, and we need to resist him because God wants us to be drastically different than the world around us, drastically more loving 
drastically more kind, drastically more forgiving, drastically more generous. Because in all those ways, we look like Jesus. And that's God's plan for us. So that when we tell a story, we say, let me tell you, Jack, before I knew the Lord, this is what I was like. But now, my heart's been changed. I don't want to live like that anymore. But my heart's been changed, and now I'm more like Jesus. Friends, the Holy Spirit's plan is to help that happen in every one of us. You don't have to have Rev in front of your name. Every one of us. But we've got to recognize the devil's trying to sidetrack us. Let's not give him that option. Amen? Pray with me this morning. Father, we know from your word that this battle is real. And Lord, we need wisdom. Because, Lord, it feels like we live in a spot where we have so many of us have so much. I'm not just talking about material things, but we just, we have so much. And it's so easy to be distracted and it's so easy to focus on so many other things. And, Lord, in all of that, we can miss the fact that the enemy of our soul is just trying to distract us. He's trying to help us settle for for second best things of the world, not the best, but settle for things that really will never satisfy, but we keep chasing after them. All to keep us from just opening our hearts to you and living with you and walking with you and surrendering to you so that you by your spirit can continue to bring transformation into our life. And Lord, we know part of that transformation is what this is talking about, this idea of overcoming sin that the time in our life past was sufficient for us to be engaged in all these things that are not honoring to you and not in step with, with the life of transformation you have for us. And Lord, I know this, as I talk about these things, there's things that have come up in every one of our minds. Oh, we sit, we sit in our chair, Lord, and we look straight ahead and we don't nod our heads because we think we're the only one who knows and maybe we are the only one who knows. But there's things inside of our, in our lives where the devil's attacking And Lord, I pray this today. We don't make light of that. We don't belittle that. We recognize it as real. And we know this. You are the power to overcome. And right now, Lord, as we're in prayer, and those things are real in our minds, right now we invite you, Holy Spirit, into our lives. Lord, we surrender these things to you today. Lord, they're different for every one of us. Those things that are, that are bothering those, that unforgiveness in our heart towards somebody, that desire to have to prove myself by outdoing someone else, that my thinking that really I am better than someone else. All those things, Lord. Maybe it's a sensuality. Maybe it is, maybe it is pornography. Lord, you know what those things are. And Holy Spirit, right now, we ask you, we admit this, on our own, we can't do it. We've tried, and we can't win, but we want to be transformed. We want this line of demarcation where we say, now in Christ, I'm free of that. And Holy Spirit, right now, I ask you to do what only you can do. In every one of our lives, we're holding these things up before you in our, in our souls or in our spirits. And we're offering them to you. We're saying, Lord Jesus, kill them. Take them away. 
Lord Jesus, give us the wisdom we need to put in guardrails and parameters. How can we show us right now in our minds, how could we structure our lives so that we live in such a way that those things don't have victory over us anymore? Holy Spirit, you, you, you said in your word that you would give us wisdom and the answers. If we lack wisdom, let us ask. We're asking right now, give wisdom to every person. How can we put guardrails up, God? Lord, some just need your, your, your strength right now. They've been battling for a while and they're just weary. Breathe your life into their soul right now. Let them feel your presence. And to know that you that they are on the winning side. And you are the God of victory. And they are overcomers. That you call them that they are overcomers in Christ. They are saints. Help each one of us live up to that. Live up to who you call us to be. And so Lord, as a whole church family, we pray this. Would you keep on working in our hearts in such a way that we find greater and greater freedom? That when the attacks of the enemy come, we run close to you. And that by doing that, you transform us from the inside out. We become more like Jesus every day. For that's our goal. So that some people may look at us and go, what in the world has happened we can say what's happened is I've given up sin and I found freedom in Christ. Let freedom reign in our hearts and our souls. In Jesus' name.